0: Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John.
1: And I'm Andy. In each episode, we choose a saga, discuss its themes, and judge the actions of the characters at the Saga Thing.
0: Well, but not this episode.
1: No, that's true. Yeah, this episode's a little different, John. In recognition of the debut of the second season of the History Channel show Vikings, we're going to look at the stories connected to the show's central character, Ragnar Lothbrok.
0: Right, and we'll also be looking at the legendary saga of Ragnar Lothbrok and his sons or Ragnar's Saga for short, uh, but we'll also bounce around to some of the other medieval sources for Ragnar's exploits, uh, the tale of Ragnar's sons, mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, Gesta Dinora of the 13th century Danish writer Saxo Grammaticus. And of course, we'll be talking about the show a little bit as well.
1: Right. And we won't be doing our usual judgment section, and we won't be picking Thing Men in this episode, which is kind of tragic, um, but the, Ragnar's tradition falls—it <laughs> <laughs> really falls outside our usual family saga subjects. And yeah. there's also lots to cover without all the uh, Judgment section stuff.
0: Right, and covering all of it, for me, involved binge-watching the first season of the show since I missed it when it first aired.
1: Yeah, did you actually finish in
0: time for, what, for this? I just barely made it. I watched the last <laughs> episode just a couple of days ago. Yeah. Uh, I've got a few things to say about it.
1: Yeah, uh, well, that, that, just we'll hang on. To... Hang on to those, because okay. we okay. really ought to start by looking at the stories and the history of the characters in Ragnar Saga.
0: Okay, I mean... We can cover the historical evidence pretty quickly, since there isn't much of it.
1: That's right. At the very least, though, we can say that a man named Ragnar did exist at some time, and there's one... (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, a lot of men named Ragnar probably existed at some time.
1: But, anyway, so the Ragnar that I'm specifically thinking about is famous for leading a Danish invasion of France in the year 845. He raided right up the Seine River, and he marched all the way to Paris... Uh, He had with him thousands of Vikings, and their ships are said to have clogged the river. Now, according to the French chroniclers, Charles the Bald divided his army with one half on each side of the river.
0: Now, tactically, that seems like a bad idea.
1: Well, it just depends on who you're fighting. Charles thought it was a good idea. But in this case, Ragnar knew how to handle himself. He attacked the smaller of the two armies and destroyed it easily. And then he took 111 prisoners and hung them on an island. Uh, right in the middle of the Seine, where the 2nd French division on the other side of the river could see them.
0: Right, so not exactly an inspiring sight right before you have to do battle.
1: <laughs> no, no, but that's Ragnar's point. It broke the spirit of the only division left to defend Paris, and then on Easter Sunday of 845, Ragnar sacked the city and marched his troops in for a good round of plundering.
0: Well, so what Vikings do best.
1: Yeah, well, and get this, John. Rather than gather the forces from outside, asking his brothers for help and things like that, um, Charles the Bald decided not to trap Ragnar inland. Instead, he buys peace with an offer of 7,000 pounds of silver. And Ragnar's allowed to keep the plunder that he took as well. Pretty good deal. Okay, so
0: where does Ragnar go after that? Well, w-
1: well, we don't really know. Some suggestions from the uh, French chronicles say that maybe he went uh, on raiding around a little bit. Um, some suggest that he died of plague. Um, but... History books don't really say much more about that particular Ragnar.
0: Hmm.
1: What about the stories of Ragnar in England? Well, it's all a bit confusing, to be honest with you. Now, if we follow the Irish annals, then there was a man named Ragnall, and he came to England after raiding France. So that sounds like this guy, perhaps. Mm-hmm. In the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, a place where you'd expect to see uh, Ragnar mentioned since he plays such a major role in the coming invasion – We really don't hear anything about Ragnar himself, but we do hear about his sons, who led the great Viking army into eastern England. Now, there are a number of other references to the exploits of a man with a similar name to Ragnar, but it's debatable whether they are all the same man or whether the man we know as Ragnar Lothbrok is just an amalgamation of the greatest Viking heroes of the age. Right, and of course we have to cover the name Lothbrok. Yeah, we're going to get to that. But for now, we should just note that Ragnar is a good case study... And the kind of problems that historians encounter when trying to separate fact from fiction. So the show is
0: really no different than the writers of history
1: and sagas in that they're
0: relying on a combination of texts as well as a healthy dose of mix-and-match history and good old-fashioned making it up Mm -hmm. to provide the most engaging story they can.
1: Yeah, but definitely not in a bad way.
0: Well, no, but it can make things a bit confusing to someone who digs into the texts hoping to find a standard historical narrative that looks like the one they've come to know on the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, Laguertha... R- Ragnar's wife on the show, doesn't even appear in Ragnar's saga. Uh, she
1: only exists in the Gesta Denorum. Yeah, that's right. But she's just as exciting in the Gesta Denorum as she is in the show.
0: Well, maybe more so. I, remember, the Lagertha of the Gesta supposedly tried to have Ragnar killed, uh, which is why he eventually divorces her.
1: <laughs> that's right. But she's a bit more rough there, isn't she? Well,
0: a little bit. I mean, she also stabs her second husband in the throat with a dart she concealed under her sleeping gown. What a lady. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> and then makes herself queen of his kingdom.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but the point is, if someone picks up Ragnar's saga, they're going to see that Ragnar has two wives, and neither of them is Lagertha.
1: Yes, but one of them is Auslug. That's the other woman in Ragnar's life on the show.
0: Right, and other major characters from the show are based on related historical figures rather than being anyone from the saga directly. Uh, so take another example. Ragnar's brother, Rollo is not mentioned in any of the source decks.
1: Yeah, the best I can figure is that the name refers to maybe Rollo the Viking. He was the mm-hmm. first Scandinavian ruler of Normandy. He's an important person for English history as well, since his great-great-great-grandson is William the Conqueror.
0: Yeah, the character almost has to be a reference to that Rollo. Uh, among other things, he'd be a contemporary of Ragnars. Right. Uh, by the way, I was doing a little bit of research for this conversation. I'm glad one of us did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said a little. I only did a little. Uh, but I did learn that Rolo is a Latinized form of the Scandinavian name Hrolf, and so it's ultimately derived
1: from Rudolf. In some relation to the reindeer, I'm assuming?
0: I can only hope. It makes it hard to take him seriously, though. It would be very hard to take
1: Rudolf the Viking seriously. John, I think it's sad that you claim to have done a little bit of research, and that's what you came up with.
0: <laughs> well, that's it. That's That's the beginning and end of my contribution to this episode. Wow,
1: that's pathetic. All right, so what about Floki? <laughs> I think, uh, you know, just looking around online, a lot of people like to link him to Loki, that well-known and now beloved brother of Thor.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Floki's an interesting one. Uh, Floki on the show, uh, for those who are less familiar with the show, is a slightly unhinged master shipbuilder. Uh, he builds Ragnar's ocean-going ship and sails to England with him. Now, like Rollo, we're not dealing with someone who appears in the sagas of Ragnar, but there is... A Floki, not Loki, a Floki who's very important to Icelandic history.
1: That's right. If you listen to the very first episode of our podcast, you might remember Floki Vilgerðarsson. He's the first man to sail to Iceland on purpose. And like <laughs> his television counterpart, Floki was an expert sailor who navigated to the island with the help of ravens to guide him to land. Thus his nickname Ravenfloki, or Ravenfloki. Floki eventually returns to Norway full of contempt for the island... Uh, but others followed in his wake and the settlement of Iceland was assured. Um he's also the guy who named Iceland, if you remember correctly.
0: Oh, right, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there there are some similarities there between that Floki and ours, but we're having to go pretty far afield to find counterparts with some of these guys.
1: Yeah. And the Floki on the show is much more entertaining than, than Raven Floki, enough. I'm sure. Never having met Raven Floki. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Well, anyways, we're on firmer ground with Ragnar's son, Bjorn. Uh, All the sources agree that one of Ragnar's sons was indeed named Bjorn. One of his many, many sons, Lots we'll discuss a bit later. Yeah, so don't spoil it. For those of you who are big fans of young Bjorn, who, if you've seen the previews for the next season, he's not going to be so young anymore, Mm -hmm. you might be interested to know that the historical Bjorn eventually earned himself the nickname Ironsides for his toughness in battle. But, (laughs) wait, that's not a spoiler? I I just meant don't spoil our show. Ragnar saga, John, it's been around for like 800 years. Anyone who's still surprised by the contents of this saga only has themselves to blame.
0: Wow. Okay. Um, so am I allowed to say that Ragnar's main enemy for the first season, uh, Earl Haraldson, has no historical basis whatsoever?
1: Sure, but we're not going to talk about him. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's get started then. Uh, We need to get the real discussion of Ragnar's saga going at some point. All right. Where do you want to start? Uh, How about Ragnar and his
1: first wife? Well, we know that it's not Lagertha in the saga, so who is it going to be? Ragnar and Thora Fortressheart.
0: All right. Ragnar's saga actually begins by introducing both the women who will eventually become Ragnar's wives. And we're going to have to deal with them in the order that he marries them. His first wife is the impressively named Thora Fortressheart.
1: Nicknames, right? (laughs) Not this week. So the story is that Thora's father, Jarl Herod sends his beautiful daughter Thora a fortress heart, a gift each day to amuse her. Aww. And then one day, he sends her a little garden snake, and she feeds it. But the snake rapidly grows until it's the size of a dragon, and it encircles Thor's house, and no one can get in or out. The serpent eats an ox a day, and it terrifies everyone. It's a pretty nasty little thing. Presumably this is not an intentional part of the gift? No, although one nice side effect is that it grows a proper dragon's hoard of gold. Oh. But uh, even so, Herod is a little worried and puts out the word that whoever kills the da- the dragon can marry his daughter.
0: Right. Now, at this point, Ragnar is introduced as the son of Sigurd ring. He's an unusually large man and quite handsome. Uh, as an aside, by the way, um, we had a conversation about this before, but I was a little taken aback by the diminutive stature of the uh, gentleman, Travis Himmel, playing Ragnar in the series. Yeah. And so I looked it up. It turns out I was wrong. Uh, Travis Himmel is actually six feet tall. Just they've surrounded him with like the, the central casting's largest Scandinavian men that they could <laughs> find. And so he's looking small next to the six foot six actors they've got all around him.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: but he actually is a tall man.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Ragnar hears – and as far as the handsomeness part, I suppose that explains why they got a former underwear model to play him. Indeed. Uh, so uh, much when much Ragnar to our learns, joy. Oh, well. <laughs> Uh, Be still, my heart. Uh, Ragnar hears about Herod's announcement and has these shaggy pants and a cape made and boiled in tar. Mm -hmm. Um, He then travels secretly to Herod's lands. He wears the tarred clothes, and then he also rolls in sand before confronting the serpent. And he also removes the rivet holding his spearhead in place.
1: Now, so just to be clear, why do you think he does all of that?
0: Well, it's clearly part of a complicated... Plan that would only work in a folk story. Right? <laughs> uh, the, he's uh, he's got himself tar stiffened clothes to protect him from the serpent's bite and breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sand, I suppose, for added stiffness, and yeah, or I, to make him less appealing as a morsel. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, removing the dragons rivet, hate
1: more than the little or a little right, bit of exactly. grit in their meal.
0: Uh, and removing the rivet. Uh, this is going to be one of those I think Cinderella moments where he's going to leave the spearhead behind in the wound. Yeah. Uh, which is going to, of course, then give him a kind of uh, a token that he can be recognized by later.
1: Yeah. And, of course, this is the origins of the nickname. You know, any good folk story has got to, you know, tell the story of right. the nickname. And right. Lothbrook translates to shaggy breeches or shaggy right. pants. Um, and for some
0: reason, whenever I tell my students... But his name, Lothbrok, means shaggy pants. It always gets a big laugh, and I'm not sure Yeah, why. They don't,
1: they're not impressed by that. Well, in uh, this is a, a pretty popular folk tradition, I think. It, it appears also in Saxo Grammaticus' uh, Gesta mm-hmm. Denorum. Um, except for in this one, he doesn't uh, do the tar and sand thing. Um, I'll read you the passage real quickly. Um, he finds out the whole story about, uh, about Thora being held hostage by this dragon. And he gets all his men together. And it says he begs from his nurse... A woolen cloak and some very shaggy thigh coverings with which he could subdue the serpent's bites. He dressed himself like this, believing that the clothing, cushioned with hair, would act as a protection and at the same time be flexible enough to allow nimble movement. And then when he gets to um, the shores of the land that he's going to be in, it's very, very cold on the Swedish coast. And the, it says the weather is freezing. And so he intentionally throws himself into the waters and exposes his soaking garments to be stiffened by the cold so that they would become even less penetrable. So mm-hmm. it's the same basic idea. It's it's right. wearing the shaggy breeches and turning them into an armor of sorts to fight off this dragon's bite and breath. Right. Do you prefer tar-covered pants or frozen pants? Uh, I would think that the tar cover might be a little better. Frozen sounds cold and, and quite <laughs> stiff. Hard to move around it. I think
0: you'd want to be nimble when you're fighting a dragon. I don't think you'd want to be walking around in frozen pants. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it works. Uh, he's able to kill the serpent, and he leaves his spearhead in the wound with a deft maneuver where he spins his uh, shaft
1: out of the very large spearhead and right. leaves it in the wound. Right, uh, and it's a, a pretty large spearhead, too, not your average right. spearhead.
0: Right, right. No <laughs> phallic imagery there at all. None at all. Uh, <laughs> uh, he then leaves without identifying himself.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of folkloric stuff in this saga, and all of this is pretty clearly setting up Ragnar as a mythic hero on the scale of other dragon slayers like Sigurd Fafnir's Bane of Volsunga Saga. Scale. And that's going to become even more obvious later, but it's worth noting right away that all these details about the clothes and whatnot turn Ragnar into a kind of legendary trickster hero.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we're dealing with something sort of halfway in between that regular trickster figure and the traditional hero, mm-hmm. right? The, um, uh, the mystery guy who's going to come along, claim his inheritance, marry the princess, and so forth. Yeah. Uh, and the trickster who's sort of always on the outskirts of society uh, and is stirring things up just to stir things up. Yeah. Ragnar kind of has an uneasy foot in each camp there.
1: Yeah. And, and it really, right now, in this moment, you can already see some of the differences between this as a legendary saga and the kind of family sagas that we've been dealing with in the podcast right. so far. Right, right. Um, it's,
0: it's highly, it's got a lot of sort of formulaic, folkloric elements that you wouldn't expect to see in the regular sagas.
1: Mm-hmm. And a bit more magic. There you and, go. And dragons. Sure. Anyway, the Jarl finds the dead serpent and he's quite happy and he's wondering who owns the spearhead. And he announces an assembly in order to find the man whose spear shaft fits the giant spearhead. Again, Cinderella.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Ragnar and his men, of course, attend the assembly, uh, where Ragnar is quickly identified by his giant shaft.
1: Dr. Freud. Dr. Freud. <laughs> you're needed in Heratol. Dr. Freud.
0: Uh <laughs> All right. That, that's, we're done with those jokes. Uh <laughs> <laughs> he uh so Ragnar then marries Thora right there at the assembly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the saga kind of fast forwards through the years of their happy marriage, uh, although we do learn that she and Ragnar have two sons, Eric and Agnar. right uh, Thora's role in the saga is at an end, and so she gets terribly ill and dies uh, some years later. and at that point, Ragnar rededicates himself to raiding to take his mind off of his grief.
1: Ragnar, Ragnar and, and Aslav Asla. now meanwhile. There's been a parallel story developing about Aslog.
0: Right. Now, we're actually jumping back to the very first chapter of Ragnar's saga here.
1: Exactly. Now, it may seem odd that the saga opens with a chapter about Aslog, but when we realize that she's the orphan daughter of Sigurd Fafnir's Bane and Brunhild, it all starts to make some sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, we call this Ragnar's saga, but it's only tangentially his saga. Aslog and her sons play a much more significant role than one might think of
1: looking at the title. Yeah, I like to think of this saga as a convenient kind of like a like a bridge between the legendary and heroic world of the Volsunga saga, and which you guys might be familiar with from the Nibelungen lead or from Wagner's Opera of the Ring. Um, it bridges between that and the world of the family sagas that we've been talking about.
0: You think we have a lot of
1: opera fans in the Saga Thing podcast audience? Well, I always know when I mention Wagner's opera to my students, they always look at me like, like I'm crazy. <laughs> <laughs> they have no idea what I'm talking about. That probably has nothing to do with the opera. <laughs> Anyway, back to Oslog. Um, after her superhero parents are killed, Oslog's foster father considers the danger that she's in. Hoping to save her from her parents' enemies, Heimer, sm- Heimer smuggles young Oslog away in a giant harp.
0: Yeah, um, I want to talk about <laughs> harp for a second. because It's an interesting <laughs> uh, harp. I've read that several times now, and I'm still having trouble with the concept. So what he's got is a gigantic harp, mm-hmm. big enough that he can fit not only this Sort of half-grown girl, but also a bunch of clothes for her, as well as uh, all the sort of wealth that he's been able to pack away with him. Yeah. So gold a, and silver in and a so secret forth. compartment, right? All in there, along with food uh-huh. and apparently sufficient room that she's comfortable in there. I mean, he's—it's pretty clear that she's able to sort of relax in there. Um, not yeah. maybe not stretch out, but you know, she's not really crammed in there. So no. all that stuff is inside a harp. Mm-hmm. Which he then carries around with him.
1: It explains why he's so tired later on. <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> I yeah, mean, he...
0: I, I feel like maybe the, um, the person who wrote this saga has never tried to lift a large amount of gold.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's that folktale element again. But... Right, right. But
0: it's so right. carefully constructed, this harp, that when it's uh, put together, no one else is supposed to be able to tell that it's actually got a hollow compartment. Right. Right. It's only because Heimer is a skilled craftsman that he's able to construct this thing so well that mm-hmm. no one else sees that it's uh, uh, false. Is a good craftsman.
1: Well, anyway, Heimer wanders around for quite a while and then one day finds himself exhausted in the home of an ugly old woman named Grima. Now, this old crone notices, while she's talking to him, a bit of rich fabric sticking out of the harp case. Oh! And so... She's thinking there's something good in there, Uh right? She convinces her husband, Ari, to attack Heimer while he's sleeping that night. Now, Ari's kind of this bumbling coward, and he manages to get into the barn and fatally wound Heimer with a fairly simple strategy given to him by his wife, hit him on the head with an axe, and then run away. Nice. (laughs) Now, after Heimer's dead, they smash the harp in the hope of finding a fortune inside, and they do, but along with that, they also find a little kid, who pretends to be mute. And they, there's a nice little exchange between the, the couple as they say, what do we do with this thing? <laughs> now we can't, I think the husband says something like, we can't afford to raise a child. <laughs> Despite the fact they've just got a harp full of gold. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, they rename her Kraka or Crow and they have to plan to keep her dirty to hide her beauty so that they can pretend that she's her daughter.
0: The the Cinderella motifs just keep coming in this saga, don't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, years pass like this, and it's sometime after Thor's death that Ragnar and his men spend some time in Norway doing a little bit of raiding. The ship's cooks go out and they meet Grima the Crone and her daughter Kraka, and they notice that Kraka's quite a bit more beautiful. She's made a point of washing up before meeting them. I guess strangers <laughs> don't come by often, and so she's taken this right. as an opportunity. Anyway, they're taken by her beauty. They're so distracted. And this is something you actually see, um, reflected in the last episode of the Vikings episode, uh, the Vikings show. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. When, uh, Ragnar, two of his men kind of go off and they, they spot Auslog bathing nude mm-hmm. and they get so distracted that they screw up the, the fishing or they're supposed to get some food. Um, that's basically what happens in the saga.
0: Right. Except that in the television show, they replace Grimma, the old crone, with a group of women-in-waiting who catch the men spy.
1: Yeah, Auslog's uh, status, wherever she is in the show, is certainly much different from this mm-hmm. kind of fairy tale Cinderella story that we get in the saga.
0: Right, but because anyway. of that, we lose this uh, entertaining episode in which the <laughs> ship's cooks doubt Krakas' parentage because they sort of look at her and how beautiful she is. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just quickly read this. Um, so the cooks say, You two must be incredibly unlike, as hideous as you are, to Grimma. We have never seen a maiden so beautiful, and we don't think she looks anything like you, because you are the greatest monstrosity. (laughs) Grimma answered, Ah, you can't see the resemblance in me now. My looks aren't what they used to be. It's a hard life out
1: there. (laughs) (laughs) Awful. Anyway, the cooks, they return to Ragnar just as the uh, the fishermen return to Ragnar in the show. Um, In this case, they've burnt the bread. And mm-hmm. Ragnar and his men on the ship are saying, what what happened out there? And so they say, hey, look, there's this really hot girl who's got a troll mother. <laughs> <laughs> and Ragnar's intrigued, just like in the show. And he decides to test them and her with a little riddle. And this is one of the closer parallels with the show, mm-hmm. since the riddle is exactly the same as the one from the show, as is the solution for the most part. Right.
0: Yeah, and the riddle is essentially, um, it's a series of conundrums. Oslog um, is to come to Ragnar neither dressed nor undressed uh neither hungry nor having eaten neither alone nor in company mm-hmm. and so the test is to see if she, whether she's clever enough to work out solutions to these problems
1: yeah now in the television show you get auslog very uh nobly entering the scene wearing her fishnet in the company of a dog and chewing on a i think an apple or something like that right in the saga it's a leak i'm not going to you know Make a big deal over a leak versus an apple, but an unless of course thing- the show is trying to do something about Aslog now as a temptress, uh, uh, carrying the apple with her. Interesting. Um, who that knows? Could be. Anyway, so she passes the test, which impresses Ragnar, but she refuses to step onto the ship until Ragnar promises her safe conduct. Mm-hmm. At that point, her dog bites him, and Ragnar's <laughs> men they beat it and throttle it with the bowstring until it's dead. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> they they left that out of the show, and yeah. it kind of violates their promise of safe conduct. <laughs> Ragnar then tries to convince her to embrace him, but she refuses. He tries to ply uh, Kraka, who is Auslog, with one of Thor's gold and silver embroidered shirts as well, but she refuses, which is kind <laughs> of <weird>. rightly so. <laughs> He's just carrying this thing around yeah. just in
0: case. Yeah, it's either, I mean, that offer is either crass or creepy or just really sad. Yeah. Uh, but it's definitely not a solid courtship strategy. <laughs> uh, you're about the right size to wear my dead wife's shirt. does not really have the right tone to it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it doesn't entirely fail. Now, Oslog doesn't fall head over heels in love with Ragnar at this moment, but she does mm-hmm. say, let me go, you go on your way, and when you come back, if you still want me, then I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. And so Ragnar follows this. He goes away, and then he soon returns. And after cursing her parents, quote-unquote parents, she sails away with Ragnar.
0: Right. now, But she's not done asserting herself with Ragnar. Right? This mm-hmm. is not going to be the compliant Thora. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Aslaug refuses to sleep with Ragnar until they're married. Which kind of evokes the, the kind of Brunhild episode from the Volsunga saga. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. She um, refuses to sleep with uh, her right. husband-to-be, and there's a wrestling match that... It, <laughs> like good, mother, good like good daughter
0: <laughs> uh, Right, and Ragnar reluctantly agrees to this But mm-hmm. then they do get married And she tries to convince him to wait another three nights To consummate the marriage uh, And she warns him, she sort of uh, speaks a verse Warning of the boneless child That will result if he doesn't wait
1: Yeah, but Ragnar's had enough of waiting And as the saga author discreetly puts it He disregards her advice <laughs> The Ragnarsons
0: So the married couple is happy together but the result of Ragnar's impatience is that their first son, Ivar, is boneless. Yeah. Now, now, what do we mean by boneless?
1: It's been interpreted a number of different ways. And I, I should preface this by saying this guy's going to turn into one of my favorite characters. But <laughs> anyway, the boneless thing is pretty interesting. Now, one theory is that it's a, uh, like a 12th century misreading of the Latin term or nickname for him, exosus or detestable. So it would be Evar the detestable, which you could understand given what he ends up doing in England um, right. and throughout Scandinavia. That that could be a name for him. Um, that they took this word exosus and mistook it for exos, which means boneless. And others suggest that he has a brittle bone disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he's legless or maybe he's even impotent.
0: Yeah, I've heard that one. Um, the uh, saga author here seems to portray him as physically weak uh, or maybe paralyzed from the waist down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but of course, because of course his arms are not weak, right? As we see later right. on, he's got a quite powerful draw on a bow. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to say how we're meant to take it. Uh, but in any case, we've got a lot more sons to get through. Yes, and Ragnar and Aslog, they were quite active. Well, according to the saga, they have three more sons in quick succession. Uh, first, Bjorn
1: Ironsides. Bjorn! Hey, there he is. It's about time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, there are more. Uh, Bjorn has brothers named Vitzerk. And Ronvald. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. If we start putting together all of Ragnar's sons, yeah. we end up with a list of nearly a dozen figures. Mm-hmm. And this is drawing just, from
1: obviously other places, other sources. Right,
0: right. And I'll just go through these very quickly. We've already seen Eric and Agnar, uh, Thora's sons. Mm-hmm. Eric later on gets the name Wind Hat, by the way. Then we have the sons of Aslaug, Bjorn Ironsides, Ivar the Boneless, who's sometimes called Ingvar, uh Hutzerk, uh Roenwald, and then later we're going to see another son, Sigurd, uh, join the group. Then in the Gestadenorum, there are more sons. In the Gestadenorum, Ragnar is less faithful to his wives, and so mm-hmm. he's come from a variety of sources.
1: Which uh, is much Fridleaf. more in keeping with the behavior of a of a, a Viking right. lord.
0: Right. It's worth noting that the Ragnar of Ragnar Saga is actually quite devoted to his wives, mm-hmm. uh, each one in turn. He's you know he's he's quite loyal to them.
1: Yeah. Whereas um, the Ragnar in the television show seems to have the wandering eye of the, uh, the Gesta Denorum Ragnar.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, because in the Gesta Denorum, he has four more sons with other women, Fridleaf, Dunwat, Ragbard, and Ube. Those or are great Ube names. Or Uba, depending on which source you're reading. Uh, Uba gets the nickname the Wise, by the way. So that's uh, 11 total sons. That's a lot of kids. Uh, you can see why they become kind of intimidating.
1: Well, it, part of why I think he does that is it's because he's conquering so many different places or trying to. And so he's maybe trying mm-hmm. to lay some seeds, if you will, that will grow into mighty oaks and, and rule in his name.
0: Right. A son in every port. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, the other three boys carry Ivar around since he can't walk and he becomes their ringleader despite his handicap. Mm-hmm. Once Aslag's boys are grown up, they become envious of the reputations of their half-brothers, Eric and Agnar. And so they ask Ragnar to fit them out with a ship and some men. Uh, they're successful in their initial raids, but Ivar wants to test their mettle against a more impressive foe. So they decide to attack Huitiber, uh, a place that their father once attacked, but then failed to conquer.
1: Now, that competitiveness among the brothers, and between the sons and Ragnar, it really drives most of the rest of the saga. Absolutely. But Ragnar is so much younger in the show that his son is still a kid in the first season, and it kind of seems like the writers are using Ragnar's brother Rollo as a replacement for that competitive shadow to Ragnar. That's
0: a good point. I um, know. I think that parallel is even more pronounced in the tale of Ragnar's sons, uh, where we see Eric and Agnar actually making an alliance with one of Ragnar's enemies, mm-hmm. uh, just as Rollo does in Vikings. Yeah. Uh, now, in this case, the son's desire to outdo their father has serious consequences. Uh, they reach Huitaber and leave the youngest brother, Roenvald, with a small force to guard the ships while the main force assaults the town. Now, the rest of the brothers attack, but the townspeople unleash a pair of magic bulls on
1: them. There's something about this saga and the, the presence of magic bulls. It's, s- it's definitely a recurring theme. There are three magic bulls total in this uh, in this mm-hmm. saga, and that's more than I've seen in any other place.
0: <laughs> and the best one is still
1: to come. I mean, uh, magic so th- these.
0: These magic bulls bellowing causes panic mm-hmm. until Ivar, who's riding on a shield and is carried into battle, shoots both of the bulls dead.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ivar, this is one of the great examples of how Ivar becomes one of the cooler characters in the saga. Now, I know mm-hmm. English English literature doesn't like him very well, but the saga <laughs> literature seems to like him quite a lot. He's one of those mm-hmm. characters that we see uh, who, uh, you know, he doesn't have the use of his legs. And he emerges <laughs> as one of the leaders of the group. He is the mm-hmm. wisest. And he's also... Showing his military acumen here, he's the one that takes out the bull.
0: Right. I think you see a great deal in the sagas of this sort of thing. Um, It's what uh, people who do disability studies would call, um, he has an impairment, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, disability is constructed. It's something that is a limitation placed on an individual by his culture or by the perceptions of others or by um, uh, things that... Uh, distance him from uh, full involvement in society. Right. Uh, so in modern society, that would be a building that is not handicap accessible, for example.
1: Or for example, um, uh, tying your your mentally handicapped child to a stick, like we saw in saga. Episodes. Right. Right. Exactly.
0: So in this saga, what we see is a figure who is acknowledged for his physical difference. Right? his brothers recognize that he needs to be carried into battle, he can't bring himself to the battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but. As he's going to say later on, he insists on having a hand in whatever they're doing. Uh, He insists on involving himself physically as well as in the capacity of leadership in what they're doing. Uh, And so in in a number of the sagas, I think what you see is a very much individualized response to uh, what we would call disability. Right. Though his name even suggests an acknowledgement of a limitation. So in Ivar's case, what we're seeing is someone who's – Uh, difference is acknowledged, it's even becoming a part of his name, right? Mm -hmm. This is not an uncommon thing in the sagas at all. Uh, Saga nicknames will frequently reference a difference, a physical difference. Mm -hmm. Not always something that we would consider to be an impairment or a disability. It can be something like the color of a person's hair or their height. Uh, But in his case, it's a disability, but it's a disability that is so little a part of his persona that it's not even clear from the saga context what that disability is precisely. Right. We're not actually certain, even having read the thing, what exactly it is that makes Ivar different from the others. Right. Uh, and of Other course than he gets carried around
1: on a shield. That's about it. Right.
0: And, of course, he's then able to use that sort of legend, right, that nickname that becomes part of his story. And he then uses that to terrify other people. Yeah. right. That the name Boneless may have a connotation of being a were-serpent. Um, it may have these connotations of being touched by the gods – That there are all these ways that he gets sort of mixed in with a kind of intimidating folkloric figure because of the name that comes about from his disability. Yeah. Well, and Um, I think he's really able to kind of control that perception of himself.
1: What's interesting about it, too, is that this is a 13th century construct of this character. Mm -hmm. It doesn't reflect an actual person. Uh, Like we say, we don't even know if he was impaired in the way that the saga describes him in in real life. This is a 13th century author sitting down Mm -hmm. and sharing his cultural view of, of that uh, of that impairment, just like Absolutely. they do in other sagas. So it's pretty cool. But we should get back to uh, what happens after right, the bulls certainly, die.
0: certainly, Well, and of course what happens is that with the bulls dead, the two forces can meet in battle for real. Yeah. Uh, but at this moment, Ronvald, the youngest of the brothers, who's annoyed at being left behind. If you remember, he's been left behind to guard the ships. He convinces his men to follow him into the fight. And unfortunately, he immediately gets himself killed.
1: <sighs> Alas, poor young Ronvald, we hardly knew ye. You're not kidding. (laughs) Some some versions of the story actually forget all about Ronvald and never even mention him. Well, it's not like he accomplished much. Harsh. Uh, (laughs) I didn't say he deserved deserved (laughs) to die. I just said he didn't do much.
0: Oh. Well, the rest of the Ragnarsons win the day. Uh, And, of course, they wreck the town before sailing off. Uh, But don't worry. There's more bloodshed and more magic cows to come.
1: Moo. Sivillia, the Uh, magic magic cow. cow. And And a a war in Sweden. Ragnar. Is great friends with King Astein of Sweden. And he has this sacred cow <laughs> named Sibilia, and that cow is used to lead men into battle, and like Age. the other cow, it bellows and freaks everyone out.
0: Oh, this is this saga writer is obsessed.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't even like break it up, you know, you want to no. spread your, your no. magic cows out, but so on a visit to Aisteen, Ragnar is convinced by his men to accept a betrothal to Aysine's daughter. Isn't he still married to Oslog at this point? Well, yeah, but remember, as far as he's concerned, and as far as the people that follow Ragnar are concerned, she's just Kraka, the daughter of an ugly peasant, and uh, her got, lineage isn't so good. They've got adult children together, and it's never come up that she was adopted against her will? Yeah, apparently not. She didn't bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> so his men argue that a peasant's daughter is just not a suitable wife for an ambitious earl like him, and Ragnar consents to the betrothal. And he warns his men, kind of like Ragnar does in the television show with Auslach, uh don't tell my wife about mm-hmm. this
0: <laughs> it did seem to me that there's a definite hint
1: of fear about how Aslaug might react actually she does know about it um, she knows the language of birds you see <laughs>
0: <laughs> of and, course
1: and the little birds tell her that Ragnar has been uh, stepping out even before he gets home
0: okay now for those who aren't familiar with the context Aslaug's ability to speak with birds is a sign of her parentage mm-hmm. uh, her father Sigurth gained
1: the same ability from consuming part of a dragon it's a very beautiful moment in Wagner's opera that uh, you, you hear little little music there. It's the birds singing, and and uh, Sigurd starts to understand what they're saying. It's pretty cool stuff. This has been Opera Hour with Andy Frager. <laughs> well, anyways, in case all of that's too subtle for Ragnar, she finally announces her real name mm. and her parentage. And as proof, because he doubts her a little bit, mm-hmm. she says that she's pregnant with a son who's going to have the mark of a serpent in his eyes. This turns out to be true, just wait, like wait. The, how does uh, that
0: prove anything?
1: Well, her father killed a dragon, you see, and she can talk to birds. And well, her son has a <laughs> snake image in his eye. What more proof do you need, John? But this is their fifth <laughs> son together.
0: Why does this one have snake eyes? I'm not. I'm not complaining. It's a pretty cool birthmark. Uh, don't it doesn't interrupt Doesn't make any me. sense.
1: Don't, just leave it. You you got to put it aside. The son <laughs> does have snake images in his eyes. All right. So. Ragnar accepts the story and does not marry Astein's daughter. The son is obviously Sigurd Ormiaga, or Snake in the Eye, someone who we've referenced in the nickname section before in this Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. Um, but,
0: of course, uh, this isn't the end of the story. Uh, it's the end of uh, Sigurd's birth. But Asteen is understandably a little annoyed about Ragnar dumping his daughter. Yeah. And so tensions rise between them. Uh, now, Ragnar's sons, Eric and Agnar, who we haven't seen much of so far— Decide that they will preemptively raid Eystein's lands, mm-hmm. since that's kind of the Ragnarsson solution to everything.
1: Well, yeah, He's <laughs> yeah, like your father's friend. Excuse me, like, <laughs> ah, we'll go conquer him. It's a there's a bit of a bad omen as they're setting out, though. As Agnar's ship is being launched, a man is run over by the keel and he's uh, killed or or squashed. <laughs> right. Well, that's <laughs> the one implies the other. Yeah. I think so. Uh, Now, there are various apocryphal stories about
0: slaves being tied down in front of new ships to float the ship in blood. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's true that blood sacrifice sometimes attended the launching of a new ship, but it was usually more of a religious ceremony. Either way, uh, the actual running over of a person in this case is unintentional. It's clearly meant as a bad omen. It's an accident. So, Eric and Agnar land in Sweden, but Eystein has gathered a large force... And the bellowing of his magic cow Sibilia disorients <laughs> the Ragnarson's men as the Swedes attack. Yeah. So Agnar, who again has this bad omen hanging over him, is killed in battle, uh, and his brother Eric is captured. Now Istein offers to make a truce and marry his daughter to Eric instead of Ragnar.
1: You know, that's actually a pretty reasonable offer from a man who's just been attacked by the would-be bridegroom. <laughs>
0: well, in any case, Eric's not interested. Uh, nope. He asks to be killed instead by being <laughs> impaled on a bed of spears. What does that say about the looks of his daughter? It's, it's pretty rough. I mean, it, or, it may have more to go about uh, as a father-in-law. <laughs> uh, have my daughter. No, <laughs> I think I'd rather die on a bed you of spears. You don't mind if I move into the longhouse, do you? <laughs> uh, now, before Eric dies, he speaks several verses Uh, including one which predicts that his stepmother Aslaug and his half-brothers will respond to news of his death with fury. Uh, And messengers manage to bring the news to Aslaug and the
1: remaining Ragnarsons. What happened to the birds? Why didn't they tell her? Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Maybe there aren't any birds in Sweden. Oh, well. But uh, Ragnar, he's off raiding somewhere. He doesn't know anything about this. Right. So, yeah, we probably should have mentioned that earlier. Ragnar is absent from his own saga for most of it. (laughs) <laughs> In fact, <laughs> yes. one of the most obvious ways that the Viking show deviates from the sagas is that the show actually focuses on Ragnar. Right.
0: <laughs> anyway, so when his family finally get the news, Oslaug and the now three-year-old Sigurth are all for vengeance, but Ivar, Bjorn, and Huitzerk resisted first. Uh, eventually, though, Sigurth's brave poetry calling for action changed their minds. Yeah, the
1: three-year-old poetry shames them into action. <laughs> <laughs> The brothers, they all prepare separately. Sigurd, the three year old, equips five (laughs) ships. Huitzerk. Five little tiny (laughs) (laughs) tugboat ships. They're all made out of newspapers. Right. No. They're real ships and he's going to command them. Mm -hmm. Huitzerk and Bjorn have 14 between them. Ivar has 10 ships along with a land force he's he's sent separately. And Auslog brings 10, though she's said to be commanding the land force. Right. They make their way to Sweden. And they begin laying waste to the countryside. And that's when Astein's forces counterattack, bringing with them the magic cow Sibylia and its bellowing dismays all of Rag- the Ragnarsson's forces.
0: But Ivar has a plan. A crazy, crazy plan.
1: Crazy like a boneless fox. <laughs> <laughs> Ivar's brilliant plan is to be carried forward with a massive bow. And then he wants to be thrown at Aestein's mad cow. <laughs> now, so if you can imagine, he's being carried on his shield. He doesn't seem to be affected by the cow's uh, bellowing. Mm-hmm. And he wants his men to throw him physically at the cow. Now, his shots blind the cow. He shoots her in the eye first. And then when he's flung at the cow, his weight magically increases and he crushes the cow to death. And I just imagine this guy with his his legs flailing around behind him, grabbing the horns and and weighing her down, wrestling her. It's a brilliant scene in my mind. Well, I'm not saying it isn't an effective strategy, it's just crazy. It's certainly unexpected. Ivar is then lifted up again by his men, and he rallies his troops to return to the fight. Pietzerk and Bjorn advance, slaughtering the Swedes, the Ragnarsons take the field, and Aestine is eventually killed. Huzzah! Yay! Once the dust settles, the brothers decide to travel to new lands, going on many raids for much plunder. But their mother goes home with the land forces. The The Ragnarsons go raiding!
0: So the Ragnarsons go a Viking for a time, uh, eventually setting their sights on a fortified town called Wiffelsburg, ruled by an old enemy of their fathers named Wifel.
1: Yeah, Wiffelsburg was apparently the site of modern-day Avange in Switzerland, and it's referred to in several medieval sources as having been the site of an important town on pilgrimage routes until the Ragnarsons kind of showed up and wrecked the place. That, that sort of gives away the ending to this part. I'm sorry about that. As I was saying...
0: The brothers surround the town and offer to take the place peacefully rather than wrecking it if they're resisted. But they're laughed at by the town's confident defenders.
1: I just have to say that laughing at the Ragnarsons, given their reputation and their father's reputation, that's not a smart survival strategy.
0: Well, at first it seems like the defenders' confidence is entirely justified. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two weeks of siege make no headway whatsoever, and the Ragnarsons are on the verge of giving up. But the townspeople are by now openly mocking them. (laughs) <laughs> uh, hooting at them and dangling their riches
1: from the walls. Throwing dead cows at them? Right. Stuff like Monty <laughs> All thons? but,
0: all but. uh Ivar sees this and has a sort of apoplectic fit. Uh, when he recovers, he hatches a plan to destroy the walls with massive amounts of burning wood piles gathered by his army and placed around the outside of the wall. Mm-hmm. The plan works and the town's defenders are easily defeated once their wall is destroyed. And of course, true to their word, the brothers burn the town
1: down after ransacking it. Good on them. Now, the brothers, they're really on a roll now, and they're getting a massive reputation throughout Europe. Their egos grow to match this. Mm -hmm. And they decide that, you know, since they're winning so much, why not keep going until they reach Rome, Mm -hmm. which they've heard is very wealthy and and famous. I've heard that too. The problem is they don't really know where Rome is. Right. (laughs) So they meet some guy on the road, and they ask him, hey, where's Rome? (laughs) And he tells them this story about how his iron-soled shoes... Had gotten worn out from walking there from Rome, and so they say that seems like it's a little far away.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a bit more than we had in mind.
1: And so they turn and go north instead. Right, fair enough. Ragnar Lothbrok in England. So at this point, you'd
0: be forgiven for forgetting that Ragnar is still in the saga at all.
1: Yeah, if you're if but, you're a fan of the show, you're probably wondering, doesn't he go to England? Right, isn't <laughs> he in this? Isn't he in this story?
0: Uh, but he does finally return to his homeland, where everyone's talking about his son's exploits.
1: Now, you would think that that would make him proud. They are every bit the murderous pillaging machines that he is.
0: Well, but Ragnar's not the sort of guy to pass the torch willingly. No. Uh, he decides that he doesn't like being outshone by his sons, so he hatches a plan to build two giant transport ships
1: and take an army raiding overseas. It was a small army. No. But an army, nevertheless. Yeah. Everyone in the north hears about Ragnar's plans, but no one knows where he's planning to attack, and so they all set watches on their shores. Ragnar, meanwhile, confides to his wife Aslaug that he's going to England, and she says that he should take more ships with him.
0: Yeah, her response is kind of like an inversion of that line from Jaws. You're going to need a smaller boat,
1: but a lot of them. (laughs) That's exactly what the author was thinking. Right. But of course he ignores her advice. In part because he's trying to make a big statement, right? He's trying to right. maybe even reclaim his, his the glories of his youth. But Right. Well, and
0: of course, you know, everyone raids with small ships, mm-hmm. right? but nobody tries to build an aircraft carrier in the ninth century, so he's going to be different. <laughs> yeah.
1: So he ignores the advice. She makes him a shirt out of gray hair that's going to protect him from wounds in case things don't go well, and sure enough, they don't go well.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ragnar's giant ships wreck on the Northumbrian coast <laughs> in bad weather, uh, although his men do make it ashore, yeah. and so they begin conquering the surrounding area, mm-hmm. since they don't really have any way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the English English king, Aela, raises an army to fight them off, but warns his men to take Ragnar alive if he's in the party, since Aela wants no part of a blood feud with the Ragnarsons.
1: It's interesting that the, the fear here is more of the Ragnarsons, not of, mm-hmm. of Ragnar himself get works. it's a bit of foreshadowing on the part of the the author there because we mm-hmm. we know how history plays out here the, it's also worth noting that Ella is a much more reasonable
0: person in the saga than he is in the show it,
1: it, I guess if you look at the Anglo-saxon Chronicle though they don't really treat him all that well he's just this usurper no, guy, sure. lacking royal blood they say mm-hmm. whatever the case the battle goes Alice way but Ragnar can't be hurt because of auslag's hair shirt and so he's eventually captured. Uh, by being pressed down with shields. Right. Now,
0: we should probably say once more that if you don't want to know what happens to Ragnar Lothbrok, you should probably skip the next couple of minutes of the podcast.
1: Yeah, and, and maybe not have read any of the tweets that I sent out uh, in <laughs> preference. <preparation. laughs> I really don't know that anyone who's gotten this far is afraid of having things spoiled for them. Fine. Go ahead. Okay. Ragnar refuses to identify himself. And so Alla has him thrown into a snake pit just to make him talk. The snakes ignore him at first until Allah has the hair shirt stripped off of Ragnar. And then the snakes bite him. And after speaking a coded verse about his sons, Ragnar dies.
0: Now the verse is, The piglets would protest loudly if they knew the boar's plight. Death has been dealt to me. Snakes dig in my flesh house and savagely stab me. Serpents suck my life out. Beside the beasts I'll die now. Soon, I will be a corpse.
1: Now, Allah realizes at this point, obviously, this is Ragnar that he's killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sends messengers to tell the Ragnarsons, and he makes it very clear he wants a report on their reactions. Mm-hmm. Since he wants to know whether he's going to have to deal with them, showing up and looking for revenge for their father. The Ragnarsons' revenge. <laughs>
0: so the Ragnarsons receive news of their father's death back home. Uh, and this section is just sort of, it's a great and sort of famous section, so we're just going to read off a bit of it. Uh, the messengers came with their troops to the town where the sons of Ragnar were being feasted and went into the hall where they drank and stood before the high seat where Ivar lay. Sigurth, snake in the eye, and hitzek the Swift sat playing a board game, but Bjorn Ironsides was planing a spear shaft on the hall floor. Ivar asked them carefully about every detail of Ragnar's death. They told everything that had happened from the time that he invaded England to the time that he laid his life down. When the story came to the point where he had said, the piglets would grunt. Bjorn clenched his hand on the spear shaft and he gripped it so hard that his handprint could be seen later. When the messengers finished their story, Bjorn shook the spear point apart so that it split into two pieces. Kvitserk gripped a game piece which he had captured and he squeezed it so hard that blood spurted out from under every fingernail. Sigurd, snake in the eye had held a knife and was paring down his nails when these tidings were told and he pondered the news so deeply that he didn't realize the knife was sticking in the bone and he didn't flinch. But Ivar asked for every last detail, and his complexion turned red for a while, then black for a while, and then went pale.
1: He was so enraged that his skin was all swollen from the savagery in his breast. Petzirk yeah. wants to kill Ella's messengers on the spot, uh-huh. but Ivar stops him. The brothers confer, and everyone but Ivar wants to attack Alla at once, but Ivar announces that his intention is to seek monetary compensation or wergild, if possible. Uh-huh. The brothers are disgusted by this, but he does it anyway, and he travels to England to meet Ella. Right. Now, Ella is a little confused by Ivar's seeming reasonableness. Uh, this is not
0: what he's been led to expect from the Ragnarsons.
1: Right.
0: Ivar demands only an oxhide's worth of land from Ella, who can't figure out how this could possibly come back to bite him, and so he agrees.
1: And yeah, he should read more.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, he <you> should. <laughs>
1: yeah, if he had read a lot of other myths, um, maybe uh, the Aeneid, for example. Or any other myths. <laughs> Uh, I mean, Dido does the same kind of thing to get the mm-hmm. land in Carthage. Uh, this is the sort of thing that is always a trick.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, Ivar's trick is pretty simple. I mean, he just stretches and cuts the hide into strips that he can then use to mark off a big enough chunk of land to found his own city.
1: And that city, we're told, is London. London? Yeah, I, when I saw this part in the yeah. book, I, I just had to laugh. Ivar Ragnarsson founds London, and we didn't well, hear about this? In, the <laughs> in this version of the story, in the tale of Ragnar's sons, He uses the same
0: oxide trick to found the city of York. Well, Well, they're clearly nonsense. Sure, but it's interesting, though, that the Ragnar texts are all so invested in establishing the importance of the family to English history. We haven't seen a lot of this yet in the sagas that we've covered for the podcast, Mm -hmm. but there are definitely some that want to place Vikings at all the important moments in English history. Yeah. And all over the North, really. Sort of this Forrest Gump approach to Northern history.
1: Uh, Forrest Gump? (laughs) Well, Ella might be suspicious, but Ivar becomes an apparently loyal supporter of the king. In secret, though, he lures many of Ella's men away from the king and to himself. Mm. Meanwhile, the other Ragnarsons receive word from him to raise an army and come to England, and when they do, Ivar rushes to Ella and offers to try to make peace with the brothers. He then visits his brothers, encouraging them to strike hard, and returns, telling Ella that he's going to stay out of the fight out of loyalty to him. Now, without Ivar's men used to be Allah's men. Mm -hmm. Allah's now outnumbered and outfought and eventually captured. And it's on Ivar's advice that a skilled woodcarver is said to carve a blood eagle on Allah's back.
0: Yeah, I think we're going to have a mini-episode just dealing with that because it is the sort of
1: famous thing uh, that has a very tangled kind of textual history. Yeah. So, obviously, getting an eagle carved on your back is not a very comfortable thing, and Allah dies. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ivar now determines that he's going to rule over all of England, and he gives up his rights back home to all of his brothers. Now you might uh if you look through English history, you're going to recognize Ivar uh, perhaps because he's famous for also slaying uh, Saint Edmund the Martyr, of oh, yes, East, of course, yeah, of East Anglia in uh, around eight sixty nine mm-hmm. uh, We see this first, this kind of association with Ivar, or as he's called Hingwater or Ingwara, uh, in the Latin passion of Saint. Edmund by Abbot of Fleury, and then again in the old English Alfred of Einsham's version of the story. Uh, it's really reminiscent, the story of, of kind of like, uh, what is it, Saint Sebastian being shot with arrows, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, they have him binding uh, Edmund to a tree, and then they shoot him full of arrows. Sure. And you sort of understand why that version or
0: that uh, element of his legend doesn't make its way into the Norse texts. Right. Uh, when they're really working to make Ivar a uh, cunning but ultimately admirable kind of figure. Yeah. And obviously being responsible for the death of a martyred saint – Uh, puts you very clearly on the wrong side of the story Uh, so the English who already have reasons to hate Ivar don't have a problem with with him being a saint killer as well
1: (laughs) the end of the the saga saga. now in the concluding section the brothers take up raiding individually and we get brief stories about their later lives Vít for example has some early successes but is captured in a raid eventually he asks to be put to death by burning on a pyre made of men's severed heads (laughs) (laughs) That is the most Viking death possible. Uh, That's what
0: death metal album covers want to be when they grow up. (laughs) I don't know. How does it burn? Uh, That's an excellent question, actually. I wonder about this. So, I mean, presumably you're dealing with, like, hairy bearded heads. Right. But I can't imagine that hair burns hot enough to kill a person laying on top of them. No. Um, You've got to have, you know, sort of wood and then a layer of heads. Still pretty metal. Uh, <laughs> and then the guy lying on top of them. Yeah, uh, and of course, the next question is, whose, Who, heads,
1: yeah, whose heads are they? Now, I thought initially that they were probably the heads of men that he defeated, but you pointed out that uh, he's asking his captors to provide right, the severed heads. Right, right. Really you wouldn't, of provide- course,
0: right, you wouldn't use the heads of your fallen comrades right. to burn your enemy. You'd presumably use your enemy's followers' heads.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: presumably, the rest of his men get their heads chopped off so that he can have— his funeral pyre of burning
1: heads. That's pretty tough. Uh, which, again, fairly metal. <laughs> <laughs> and it certainly beats his, his brother's uh, throw-me-down-on-a-bed-of-spears. Right, yeah. exactly. He's one-upping Eric there, isn't he? Yeah, he is. It's funny. <laughs> so, secret snake-in-the-eye has a family. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> which is such a letdown
1: after Wait hearing about Hutzok's death. So, Sigurd's Snake in the Eye, who's the heir presumptive to Sigurd's Fafnir's Bane. He's this right. really important uh, poetry spewing, uh, sh- five ship leading three year old that turns into a great warrior. And he We're- settles down, moves out to the burbs, has a couple of kids. Yeah, that's essentially what happens, right? His daughter, Ragnild is going mm-hmm. to be the mother of Harold Fairhair, who oh, okay. you were recognized as the king who unites mm-hmm. Norway and inadvertently causes Iceland to fill up with a lot of disaffected Norwegians. Right. So, I mean, legitimately, a family that's going to have some glory in its future. Sure, but you would expect more stories of campaigning from the a guy. bit.
0: From a guy with the name Snake in the Eye, yes. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Ivar the Boneless rules in England for a few years, but eventually falls ill and dies. Now, at his request, his
1: cairn is raised on the shore to protect England from invaders. Yeah, this is another example of that interest in English history. The saga writer claims that Ivar's protecting tomb explains why Harold Hardrada's invasion of England in 1066 fails. You oh, right, remember Harold Hardrada as the guy who uh, does the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, right, but William the Conqueror sneaks up on the
0: tomb that same year by landing in the south. Apparently, it never occurs to Ivar that you can land anywhere on the island. <laughs> Uh, so he's able to exhume Ivar's body and burn it, and
1: William takes control of the island. That's Rollo's great-great-great-grandson, <laughs> William, to you. I don't see that catching on. <laughs> no, it's too hard to say. Uh, la-
0: last but not least, Bjorn Ironsides has a number of famous descendants, uh, especially Thord of Hofdistrand, uh, an ancestor of both Thorfinn Karlsefni, mm-hmm. our friend from the Eric the Red Saga episode, and, of course, the infamous Snorri Sturluson.
1: I've never heard of that guy.
0: Snorri? No, yeah, no,
1: an obscure yeah. figure. Yeah. <laughs> so, Little Bjorn's got quite the bright future ahead of him. Absolutely,
0: something to look forward to in future seasons.
1: Good, good. Well, that's the saga of Ragnar Lothbrook and his sons. It's really the most complete account of Ragnar Lothbrok that we've got, and it's perhaps the most engaging as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if there were more time, we'd talk to you about the Krakumal and the sagas of Ragnar's sons and tell you more about how the Ragnar of Saxo's Gesta de has a completely different flavor and style. Yeah, but jeez, we've done enough
0: for now. Uh, yeah. You've got all you need of Ragnar's story, and I'm sure listeners are ready for Season 2 of Vikings by now.
1: I'm really curious how they're going to handle the issue of the Sons and the invasion of England. They're going to get to that this season? They'd better. No. <laughs> I, I, For now, I think I'd be content to watch Ivar get born and then take on the magical cows of Scandinavia. All right. But <laughs> maybe in Season 2 or 3, uh, we'll get to see the Great Heathen Army march on England.
0: Well, We can hope. It's mm-hmm. good, solid, entertaining history, even if it's only yeah. loosely connected to reality. Exactly.
1: So thank you for listening. We are going to be back in a little bit with a new episode of Saga Thing.
0: Yes. Uh, next time, we'll return to the regular format
1: as we look at the Saga of the Confederates. Otherwise known as Bandamana Saga. You just like saying that. It does flow off the tongue beautifully. Bandamana Saga. You're right. It does. <laughs> so don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we are at Saga Thing Pod. Like us on Facebook at Saga Thing Podcast. And review us on iTunes.
0: And of course, feel free to email
1: us at sagathingpodcast at gmail.com. So many options, so much social media. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time. Bye for now. Crazy like a boneless fox.